about how Sam and Simon spoke on the internet. And I'd like to Yay. <laughs> just to sit right here and tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> what are we going to yeah, talk well, about? <laughs> I, I think I'd be a pretty good hype man. Okay, hype me. Yo, yo. Um, it's uh... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the lesson here is that white people should not rap ever. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, not these white people anyway. Defs. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Sam. How the heck are you? Dude, I am um I'm good. I'm good. I didn't sleep very well because it's windy as fuck in Cape Town and um it felt last night literally like our building was gonna blow over. Yeah, I've seen photos that look fairly apocalyptic, like some of the artworks mm-hmm. on the promenade and around Sea Point being ripped up and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's about as windy as I've ever seen. Crazy. How the hell are you, Sammy? Oh, I'm very good. Um, I have not had apocalyptic windstorms, just the usual constant rain, but I'm starting to get used to it. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. You're heading into winter in the Northern Hemisphere. I'm pretty into it, to be honest. I'm a little bit excited. I think I'm only into it because I haven't actually exper- experienced a Northern Hemisphere winter yet. So it seems like a fun idea. Rally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've experienced one. You haven't had to. You haven't had to weather one entirely. Exactly. I haven't had to live right. through an entire whole of one. So I'm yeah. like in my head. I'm like, oh, it's going to be so cute. I'm going to drink lots of hot chocolate and hot toddies and general hot beverages and get super cozy and do mm-hmm. higger or whatever. But in reality, I think I'm just going to be pretty miz for the next three months. You're gonna. You're going to be in soggy clothing all day. Pretty much. And, and there's no way to dry it. I'm it's pretty impossible. excited. Yeah. Um, Simon, mm-hmm. you actually have been in one of my favorite Simon moods in the last few days. Because um, one of my favorite flavors of Simon is Simon who has just started a new thing. I think that this is where you are just at all <laughs> in your element. is new thing, Simon. Yeah, I mean... It's, I don't know that there's any other kind of Simon. <laughs> 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 there certainly isn't persistently sticking to something, Simon. <laughs> you know what I love, though? So you went away on this little holiday for one week. And mm-hmm. I think the week before you went away, you were feeling quite dry, like quite burnt <sighs> out, right? And then you went away on holiday. And look, you came back with like... like Oh, hey, by the way, I've set up a whole new business for us. Like, <laughs> yes. so I think the lesson here is that you need to take more holidays. Yeah, that's usually the boredom. It's f- from whence new things come. But you're also you're also uh, an excellent version of Sammy now, which is big, gigantic writing project looming, Sammy. Eee! It's my favorite Sam as well. Yeah, a new writing project is the best because um, there are so many things that could still be. Um, and I, I like, you know, you go through the trough of disillusionment in any project where once you've started it, you're like, oh, actually, this is shit. <laughs> like in my head, it was so magical. And now that I've actually started doing a first draft, it's so shit. And then you write through that and then eventually you decide you kind of you don't love it, but you can handle it. Um, but yeah, being at the start of a writing project is very fun. I can't talk too much yet about the writing project, except to say that it's it's a Hollywood thing, which is exciting. But I can't really well, we can- on it. We can say it's a writing project. A writing project, yeah. It's amazing how all creative work has that thing, though, that um, 
you know, whether you're starting a business or gearing up for a writing project or making a paper mache house for your guinea pig, um, <laughs> it's always the devil's in the details, right? The ideas are shiny and beautiful. And then once you start unpacking them and actually having to turn them into a real thing in the world, you discover all the things you didn't know you didn't know. Oh. And then and then <laughs> that's where it becomes difficult. And that's when I go on holiday and start another new thing. <laughs> It's like the the metaphor that I, I once heard, which I really like, is it's like looking at a, a really simple map um, of like a hiking map. That's just a very mm -hmm. simple line from A to B. And you look at it and you're like, yeah, that looks fine. And then you actually start walking that path and you realize the path is full of boulders. <laughs> and you're like, oh, yes. actually, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it's like looking at the London Underground map and then finding out that you actually have to run the rails yourself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, to be honest, you know, as much as I, as I bitch about this, I am one of the, those people who really does actually like the process of writing not just the concept mm -hmm. of writing or the feeling of having written. I do generally actually really like, I like the craft of it. Like I really like sitting with my butt in my chair and trying to figure out what the right word choice is. Um, yeah. But it, it is just that moment where it's the gap between how magical it is when you first think it up and then how absolutely shit it is when you first write it down. <laughs> it's just like, it's so demoralizing. <laughs> yeah. I hate nothing more than I do thinking about writing and enjoy a few things as much as I do actually writing. Yeah, you're also one of those people who does actually like writing. I know a lot of writers I, who don't actually like writing. <laughs> I think it depends on on how you're um, applying your craft. I, I spent many, many years having to write things for other people that I didn't want to write or didn't give a shit about. Mm. Um, you know, like fucking press releases about printer ink or whatever. Mm. And <laughs> and so, you know, commissioned writing about something entirely banal yeah. uh, will very, very quickly kick the desire to write out of here. Oh, my God. Should we, um, should we talk about the worst writing briefs we've ever done? <laughs> I've got some stinkers. Um, so firstly, one, um, I, I used to have to write um, pieces for the internal coca-cola magazine that their staff gets in south africa Jesus. and i was responsible for writing the column about fanta which basically <laughs> just meant coming up with 135 fanta related puns and trying <laughs> to squeeze as many of them into this fucking lame corporate magazine article that was that was a stonker um mm. and then the other job that actually was kind of hilarious was i used to have to write um, letters pretending to be Ronald McDonald um, to the kids from the schools where he just done school visits. <laughs> so, and I just, I always wanted to like sneak in satanic messages or something, uh, but I did not. Dude, you had it easy. Yeah. Tell me about. I wasn't joking about fucking printer ink. Like one of our, <laughs> and and. And the client wasn't even the people who make the printers. The client was like a reseller for the printers. Oh my they were God. like a, a local distribution arm. Um, <laughs> and the, I, I mean, literally, they would ask us to write opinion pieces for them. And part of our job was coming up what the topic would coming up with what the topic would be as well. Oh my God! So, like, how do you make clickbait about printing? How do you have opinions about printing? <laughs> and they 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 had our dumb company on retainer as well, so we had committed to write X many words about printers and their ink every month. Oh my god, amazing! 
There's also something about creative work that you know is not going to be consumed. Yeah. Like, you know, writing Fanta puns sounds fun as heck, actually. But knowing that nobody's ever going to read them because they're going to be in an internal Coca-Cola magazine that's destined for pulping, um, (laughs) there's there's nothing nothing will suck the enthusiasm out of you quicker than knowing (laughs) that you're doing something entirely pointless. Absolutely. But I mean, I think that this is a really interesting thing. I'm really glad I had some shit jobs because it definitely did help motivate me to know that I needed to find ways to not have shit jobs like I needed to find ways to support writing the things that I actually want to write and that's absolutely a good motivator right yeah absolutely um I mean that's life right you need the you, you need something to compare the good to Sammy yeah so you do. Simon, have mm-hmm. you um, been learning or using or doing anything recently that has been filling your life with joy and happiness? Yeah, I've been starting new things, which always makes me uh, happy. Look, uh, this year, and and by this year, we mean 2020 for any of uh, you listening in the future, um, has not been the easiest year in the world from a doing stuff perspective. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I, as we've discussed at length, I like starting new things, firing them up and making them look like something real and then getting other people enthusiastic about them and, and talk, actually turning them into something. So, talk so that's been fun. Step by step of that, because it's something that I just really admire about you is when you have an idea, you have this incredible ability to turn it into something that feels very real and you're very brave about like putting out ideas and then getting people to talk to you about them. So talk me through like what Simon has a new idea. What are the first things that Simon does? It's almost never the same things though. So I'm trying to think of, I mean, we live in a world that's supercharged for getting ideas to look like real things. Um, Mm you know in 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 the golden age of starting new things that we're in right now you've got communities like product hunt where you can take something that you've managed to make look like a real product and get very rapid feedback on it mm. um we've got tools like notion and oh my god super which i need to tell you about which is a, a publishing layer for notion basically Ooh. um so basically uh, notion is is high for those of you who haven't heard of Notion, <laughs> it's a tool that's kind of like, um, I don't know, what is it like? It's its a little bit like Evernote Google meets Docs. Trello yeah. meets Google Docs. It's a whack-em-all make documents you can share with other people, whether it's a wiki for your company or a blog post for yourself. Or a, I highly recommend playing around with Notion if you haven't. Um, but any of your pages that you make in Notion, you can turn into published HTML. Um, and Super is a thing that takes your your Notion, um, allows you to connect it to a custom domain, for example. And then you basically have a website that you can make without knowing any code that you can publish from your phone, make changes to from anywhere. Um, it's pretty crazy. And so if you have an idea... Um, you can get a website up for it literally from your phone uh, within minutes. You can change and iterate, you know, from anywhere. And it's Um, it's free for quite a while, isn't it? Notion, I think, is the personal accounts at the beginning of of the COVID lockdown they made 
basically like free forever, if I remember correctly. Mm. So if you're a business and you want multiple users collaborating and stuff, then uh, then then I think you pay for it. But I I seem to recall that Notion made itself free for for individual accounts forever. I'm busy checking which is now. Amazing. Absolutely right. Yeah, totally free, unlimited pages, um, and you can mm. share with five guests before you have to get to like four dollars a month. Yeah. Well, hells, man. There you go. Pretty freaking. And we've got tools like Canva and Over, where you don't have to be a graphic designer to get a simple logo together. Mm. Um, so you can. I mean, y- we were talking about the idea I had last week while I was literally sitting next to a swimming pool in the bush. And while I could have been reading a book or doing a crossword puzzle or whatever, um, I made a logo in a website and launched something and then put it out there on Twitter and got some feedback and set up meetings with people who wanted to be involved with it the following week, literally all from the side of the swimming pool. Mm. Um, That's pretty cool. Like, um, I think just getting stuff out there as soon as possible is an important part of the creative process for me. Mm. Um, I, I think you get people who believe in stage setting and big bangs uh, they don't want people to see their unfinished work mm. um, but I remember being in in the states a good decade ago now I think uh, and seeing well I am talking about his creative process at a conference mm. um, his creative process wasn't at the conference he was talking about it there um, <laughs> and about how he uses SoundCloud and from his studio will literally you know come up with a loop put it on SoundCloud get feedback if people hate it he'll scrap it or they'll make suggestions for him to change it. And he'll kind of iteratively write songs out in the open using, you know, SoundCloud and rapid feedback loops. And Mm -hmm. I think that's how I like doing things Mm -hmm. Um, is just getting them out there as quickly as possible and getting feedback and iterating and changing instead of keeping the curtain down until the stage is set and then then only finding out at the end whether or not anybody is interested in what I did. It's the will I am approach versus the golem approach, you know, like it's my precious. Nobody look at my (laughs) beautiful idea. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. and it does seem much more sensible. I mean, I do think that it, again, it also u- leverages the fact that one of your other superpowers is having conversations with people. Um, and I think the trick as well is to be able to have conversations around this idea of a product, but then actually listen to what does and doesn't work about it for everyone that you talk to without without letting them tell you how to fix it but i think like having conversations with people will tell you what's not working almost always the the things that they tell you to do differently are wrong but almost always yeah. the things that they tell you are broken are right i find right yeah yeah i think it's a balance cuz one of your superpowers is um well firstly putting in the hard work to actually deliver something um, I'm, a, I'm a trudger. I stuck at. <laughs> I'm a trudger. But also putting in the thought ahead of time to actually plan and you know get to as many of the unknown unknowns as possible, mm. um, which is why you're a good counterweight to my utter uselessness. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, good thing we're friends. Absolutely. So you like if you so you you've got a new writing project looming. Uh-huh. You're the kind of writer who sits down and actually plots things out and draws up skeletons and moves stickies around and comes up with a structure before you write things, yeah? Mm, 
mostly, I think it's a balance. So the novel that I wrote this year, um, which is it isn't finished, but it's kind of there's a draft. Um, that one, it was I kind of flipped the process a little bit on its head to how I usually do it, which is that I tried to avoid spreadsheeting. <laughs> I literally plot inside Google Sheets because that's how much of a freaking nerd I am. Um, but this one, I kind of resisted doing that, and I tried to just write through it. So I, I had kind of a post-it level idea of what needed to happen, literally on pieces of paper, but on like three post-its, you know, like really, really light skeleton. Um, and then I tried to just write a draft zero, uh, which is not, not a first draft because it's mostly unusable, but it's just, you know, what if I discover the plot as I'm writing it? Um, and it's really a challenge because, you know, like when I'd written literally three quarters of the draft, I suddenly realized that I wanted to introduce an entirely new core character. <laughs> and the, the, the challenge is you don't now go back and rewrite it. You just write forward pretending that that character has been there all along. Um, so, I mean, what you end up with is a total mess that no one else, no one else could read it and understand what's going on. But by writing the draft zero, I have now figured out exactly what needed to happen. And then from mm. that, I went and abstracted the plots and now have a spreadsheet. <laughs> right. And now I'm doing the like proper draft of like, okay, now, now I, now I understand all the pieces and it's much easier now because I have a lot of material already. So it's sort of, I don't know. I don't know. So yeah, I, um, they, they talk about plotters and pantsers, um, sort of writing by the seat of your pants versus plotting. I am mm. more of a plotter in general. And it's how I approach other business things and tech projects as well. As you know, I like having a backlog and lots of spreadsheets. Um, but yeah, sometimes you also, sometimes, you know, in, in the product space. So we also have been playing with a new business idea, you and I, uh, called Orchard. Um, and in that space, sometimes what I have to do is crack open a design my, my UX design tool and actually just start imagining what screens look like and then mm. it becomes clearer to me so I don't know it's always a little bit of a balance like you I like to think about stuff but then at some point you have to think by trying to make it well a lot of planning is um is communication right I guess what changes the game is if you're if you're doing something in a team like yeah. Yeah. there's a big difference between Sam writing one of her books on her own versus, you know, Sam writing a Hollywood production with a team of writers. Yeah, 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 yeah. And who um, knows how that's going to go? <laughs> well, we're about to find out. <laughs> I mean, you know, you don't get to do almost anything alone, even if it is writing your own book. At yeah. some point, there's going to be an editing process, etc. So, um, but I guess it's it's... It's useful to know if you're a Stephen King who can sit down and bash out a book in a night without sleeping and oh. drinking. But well, this is old Stephen King, very, very long ago Stephen King, um, versus somebody I think like our friend Lauren who sits down and meticulously plans what's going to be in a book before um, mm. before really getting going. Mm. Although I've heard I've heard our friend Lauren describe writing as being like archaeology, um, in that there is also a fair amount of just climbing into the hole with a shovel and digging right and seeing what is there not necessarily designing it like a building 
Yeah, which is uh, curiously that Stephen King talks about that as well. He talks about um, dusting off fossils. Like, yeah. I know there's something in this rock, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to have to chip away at it to find out what's there. Michelangelo used to talk about it as well. Like, he would have to actually start cutting away at the marble to pull out what was inside of it. Mm. I think he had a um, a more hi-fi idea of what was inside the marble than most creatives do when they start chipping away. It does, um, it, yeah. But I, what I enjoy about any creative process is the surprises that come because mm. you have an idea in your head, but once you actually start dusting off the fossil, you find out that you thought it was a Velociraptor, but actually it's a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> fancy that. Fancy that. I mean, I do think that part of what you have to do at the start of a project, um, whether a business idea or a creative idea or anything, is you also just have to protect the little tiny baby seedling that you have because very early ideas are almost certainly wrong. You know, like they're, they're the tiny germ of a seed of something. And I think the, mm. like the what's wonderful about being open to feedback is you get feedback, but you also have to counter that with still believing that there's something worthwhile in the idea, even as you adapt it. And I think just pushing through and, and, and understanding like, okay, this is a tiny baby seedling and he's a little misshapen, weird little thing and he doesn't really know what he is yet but I'm still going to put like a glow like a dome around him and let him grow and see what happens when he gets a bit bigger without getting too demoralized the first time someone looks at your dumb seedling and is like that is a dumb seedling <laughs> right Part of it is just right. you sort of have to decide like this is a thing that I I like I like this thing I'm going to I'm going to I don't know nurture this tiny baby until it's something Mm, I think it goes back to the kind of um, whether you're a, a, somebody who likes setting the stage or somebody who likes conspicuously creating things. Mm. Um, that that kind of tells you a lot about how dogged you're going to be in making the original idea work versus letting the original idea go and mm. and letting it become its own thing out in the wild. Mm. And it feels to me like the more I think of examples of that, the more it always comes back to ego. I think um, people who doggedly stick to original ideas and kind of pull them off no matter what and no matter who they have to you know, clear out of the way um, and what they have to sacrifice, there's usually a lot of like themselves involved in what they think that thing should be mm. um, as opposed to letting go of that and letting kind of the world decide what your creative work is. Mm-hmm. My I friend, don't know if any of that makes sense. It does. It does. My friend Danny, our friend Danny Day, um, has this. Who's a who makes video games? Uh, did this wonderful talk at GDC a few years ago, where um, it was about how to ship games, like how to get better at finishing and shipping games. And he had this very counterintuitive talk because he said he tries as hard as he can not to ship things. And he only ships projects where it almost feels like the world forces him to, where there's mm. so much momentum that gathers behind something because, you know, you've let's, you've got so many beta players uh, playing with it. Um, you know, you've brought so many people into it and early testers and so many other people have become invested in it that it almost forces you to. So rather than thinking about, and again, it's a bit of that thing of like, you know, building in the wild, uh, but at some point, if something is good, it will pick up its own momentum and 
if mm. you are good at building in the open, you're giving something the chance to do that. And that's what will what will really pull important projects forward. So I thought it was kind of this yeah. really fun counter, totally counterintuitive way of thinking about it. Well, you're pulling something through the um, the dissipation of innovation curve, right? <laughs> because because with any project, you're going to have early adopters who don't mind things being rough around the edges and and usually understand more about what it is that you're doing than, than the average person in the street. So I guess in video game land, that's beta testers, right? Mm-hmm. They're the people who are going to play the game like... They know that when the game launches, they're going to lose all their characters and all their treasure. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but they're here for the journey. They want to see the features first. They want to feel like they're part of an exclusive club. Mm. Um, they're going to be more forgiving of the technical flaws that are there. Um, but they they kind of want to want to be there for that beginning bit. And they'll help you uh, polish off the product to something that's ready for mainstream adoption. <laughs> um, and I guess in the writing world... Something like the community of people who were reading Andy Weir's blog posts before those blog posts came together and were edited into a book called The Martian mm. that was then made into a Hollywood blockbuster um, with Matt Damon. Uh, you know, like that started off as some pretty rough blog posts that people were reading until somebody said to him, like, wouldn't you please put these into chronological order <laughs> so that I can I can read them in one place without reverse scrolling? Um, and, and he, I don't... I don't think he was even thinking of of writing a book until that point, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but he had those early adopters that were helping him like hone this thing and polish it and and get it ready for prime time. And that is literally how my money book happened. You know, I have so many people who email me all the time saying, um, you know, hey, your money book is really cool. I've written something kind of along the same lines about entrepreneurship or about basic economics or something. How do I find a publisher for this? And my answer is like, I don't fucking know, because what I did is I just wrote blog posts, basically. I wanted to write something because I wanted to write it. So I posted a bunch of really, really long blog posts and I just put it up on Medium. And then a publisher said to me, hey, I think that this should be a book. So mm. you know, again, it was this thing that it, it, it gathered its own momentum and became something kind of almost despite of what I wanted. Right. And I think that that's the beauty of doing stuff out in the open is that if it is yeah. good, it will gather its own momentum. Something that's too good to be ignored and then isn't. But I, I mean, again, there's, there's, there's no right and wrong. You know, like neither you nor I have pursued publishers. Um, I, I wasn't even thinking of writing a book before I was approached by a publisher to do, to do one. Mm. But, you know, J.K. Rowling had to get turned down by something like 40 publishers before Harry Potter became a thing. Yeah. Um, there's, no, there's no right or wrong way to do this. Mm. Um, yeah, but I think... Know, I don't know how to do it that way. Cause I, I but, never... getting, but, but getting something out there and, and getting the nose from the publishers or getting the blog post up there that nobody reads... Um, I feel like getting to that point as, as quickly as possible is 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 the business. Mm. And what's beautiful about the world today, as you were saying, with these tools like Notion and Super, is that the, the thing that turns it into web page? Yeah. Um, is you really can publish anything. You know, you really can design anything. You really can launch any business. It You know, you really don't need anything to... Because, they, you know, they are gatekeepers in some parts of the world, 
you know, and you, mm. sure, you need to convince VCs if you want to go and hire a big development team, or you need to go and convince publishers if you want to publish a traditional book. But there's also no barriers to publishing your own book or building your own really simple app using drag and drop app development tools, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it's never been cheaper to do that. I think, you know, not long ago, getting, well, websites weren't a thing. But, you know, even even getting a cheap prototype out there for people to test was a pretty expensive, laborious process um, with a lot of gatekeepers involved. And and now not only is it quick and not only do you not need permission, it costs virtually nothing as well, you know, whether we're talking about time and money, um, to just get something out there and, and get eyeballs on it and feedback rolling. Mm. Very cool. Do you want to tell me about something you love? Uh- <laughs> You know what it's going to be? It's going to be my latest obsession, Dr. Bronner's Miracle Soap. <laughs> so, shame. Jesus. Simon, you have actually listened to me rant about this for days. But for anyone who might, who might be listening to this conversation on the internet, I have just moved to a country for the first time that sells this magical substance called Dr. Bronner's Miracle Soap. Um, so this is probably old news to people who live in countries where this thing has existed for 150 years, because that's how old this product is. But it is entirely new to me, and I am so delighted by this discovery. So it's this really, it's I, I love it because it's an example of a company that should not be successful, because they have done exactly the opposite things that every business manual would tell you to do. But basically, it was founded by um, the child of a refugee whose parents died in the Holocaust um, in Nazi Germany. Um, and he was a refugee to America, and he started making soap and uh, using this traditional method his family had been making for you know de- generations before that. And um, he started this brand, and basically, you can use the soap for everything, it's like the 18 in one soap. So you can use it for your face, your hair, your windscreen, your dishes, whatever. Um, but what I love about this company is that um, Emmanuel Bron- Bronner, Dr. Bronner, the, 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 the original guy, was just this wonderful, delightful hippie who um, he, he, he really wanted to start a soap company because he wanted the soap box, Didish. Um, and he, he used to go around and, and really use his soap as a way, to, as a form of activism, as a way to open conversations with people about the magic of hemp and to promote his basic, basically his religion called the moral ABC um, and how we all just must be super nice to each other because we live on Spaceship Earth. But what I love about this, so the new generation, so I think it's now his grandkids who run the company. Um, so I think the CEO is called David Bronner and it's CEO stands for like cosmic energy officer or something. <laughs> and his brother's the president. And basically like they just, it's this company that like should not be successful. They spend no money on advertising except to send a, a, a party truck, a foam party truck to Burning Man every year. <laughs> um, the, the CEO has been arrested several times for doing stuff like planting marijuana seeds on the the lawn in front of the DEA headquarters. Um, they donate a, a lot of their profits to, I think they're, they're registered as a B Corp, so it's a for-profit company, but they donate a lot of their profits to research and psychedelics, um, fair trade organic supply lines. They have these beautiful rules like the the person the highest paid person in the company can never be paid more than five times the lowest paid person in the company 
they just do everything mm. right, you know, like right. Um, and they're just absolute weirdos. And I just love, and, and despite running a company like this, um, they made something like a hundred, they're like $122 million profit two years ago. Like they're just this enormous, very successful company, almost despite themselves. And I just love them because like Patagonia or these other businesses that we talk about a lot, they're just a beautiful example for me about how there's more than one way to make something big and interesting. It kind of feels almost to me like uh, it's another example of how important authenticity is. Yeah. Um, and and how how weirdly it's it's probably the thing human beings are best at um, at identifying. Mm. It feels like. You know, we we're pretty bad at at really unpacking our own behavior. Self awareness is something that we find quite difficult, but almost everybody is super good at picking up on the authenticity that a product or a creative work or that somebody has mm-hmm. <laughs> versus versus whatever the opposite of that is. Yeah, and their their brands like Dr. Bronner's, is it? I think so. Um, it just screams authenticity, right? Yeah. So does Patagonia. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting how it almost doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you're writing or making soap uh, or telling people not to buy your jackets. <laughs> um, you know, authenticity brings them in. Yeah, and it's like it's a great reminder for me that how you do something really matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything that you love at the moment? Well, I mean, we've we've spoken about super already. The website super.so, um, so super.so, uh, and Notion is pretty easy to find. But I think let's throw Gumroad in there as well because what I've seen over the last couple of months. So Gumroad is 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 a, a website slash service that helps people sell creative work online. So if you've got something that's non-material, especially like a film or uh, music or a, a book or whatever. Um, it's a website that makes it super easy for you to to sell your creative work uh, and get paid for it, um, again, without having to know any code or set up confusing payment gateways, etc. And if you can install Notion on your phone, set up a domain with something like Super, um, you've got a publishing platform, you can plug it into Gumroad, and whatever whatever it is you're making, and and I found out about this setup from somebody who was literally selling icons uh, with the new iOS that Apple put out for their iDevices, um, their widgets, and their ways to change the actual icons that you have for apps. And there was a lot of excitement about this. Um, this guy found out that people were super into his home screen that he was posting on Twitter. Um, with his custom icons. So he put those custom icons together as a pack that you could buy on Gumroad, um, set up a website in Notion, published with Super, and literally woke up the next morning with, I can't remember what, like not a life-changing amount, but call it $9,000. Definitely (laughs) enough to change your life for a month or two. Um, And uh, and it's just grown from there. So uh, check out Gumroad and and think about Notion, and it's just it's so incredibly quick and easy to get ideas out there right now and to get paid for them potentially. Good finds, bud. Hey man, it's uh, it's all I'm good for is 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 reading tweets, <laughs> reading tweets <laughs> and starting things. It's a good. 
<laughs> watching things get started <laughs> and uh, and telling other people about them. No, I'm a fan. Okay, buddy. All right, Sammy.